Powerful at Work Radio, episode 51. Welcome to Powerful at Work Radio, the podcast for professionals who see their work as a calling. I'm your host, Rosa Ponce de Leon, and together we'll explore how people can position themselves to make a real difference with their work. We will cover topics ranging from leadership to emotional wellness to what true power looks like and everything in between. If you're ready to do work differently, tune in and join the movement. Now let's get after it. Lateral thinking expert and pioneer of innovative leadership, Paul Sloan is a highly sought after motivational speaker. Blending puzzle challenges with authoritative business messages, Paul provides practical and memorable lessons. An innovative leader who specializes in creative challenges, Paul can entertain an after-dinner audience, deliver a keynote speech, or facilitate. Paul, welcome to the show. How are you this morning? I'm fine, Rosa. Great to be with you. I'm excited because just before the show, you started telling me about a book you just wrote that I think we can start with because it's fun. It's called 1,234 Wacky, Witty, and Wonderful Words. And it's an exploration of fantastic words in the English language. Some of them are unusual, some of them are amazing stories, and some of them are just uh, silly and funny. So did you know that tawdry is a contraction of St. Audrey? And it used to be a lace that was sold at St. Audrey's Fair, which the rich people looked down on and thought was very cheap and nasty. And that's why the word tawdry comes from. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Well, as if we didn't love you enough for all the work and contributions, this just makes you even more interesting. (laughs) I did not know that fact. No, I didn't either until I researched the book. Anyway. (laughs) Well, let's jump in. One of the things that I wanted to interview you about and and why I'm excited is because you do a lot of work on lateral thinking and lateral leadership. Can you explain to us a little bit about what that means? Well, lateral thinking is a phrase coined by Edward de Bono in contrast to conventional thinking or vertical thinking. When we go straight ahead, we do things in an orderly, logical fashion. And that's good and fine, but eventually you run into a roadblock. And lateral means coming at the side. It means approaching the problem from new directions. And the lateral leader is one who is always curious, who is always thinks there's a better way to do things. They're never satisfied with the current methods. They think there's a better approach and they're constantly looking for it and trying experiments and empowering their people to try experiments and try new things. And it's risky, but it's a much better style of leadership for the modern world than a conventional command and control leader. That's my cup of tea right there. So talk to me a little bit about the risk aspect, because what I find is that most leaders, this is their downfall, the fear of the consequences of not having control of the outcome. They just, they hesitate to risk sometimes. So can we talk about that aspect of it? Yes. And there's an element of risk and innovation in trying new things involves risk. And I advise people to have a budget for experimentation. And most of that budget will be wasted on things that don't work. If everything you try works, you're not being bold enough. Mm. So experimentation, innovation involves risk, involves loss. And you've just got to live with that. There's a risk to innovating, but there's a risk to standing still. And if you don't innovate, somebody else will, and they'll run rings around you. Innovation means winners and losers. And when it comes to innovation, you're either the diner or you're the dinner. You're either going to feast on it or you're going to be eaten by somebody else. It's as simple as that. So choose your risk. Do you want to play safe like BlackBerry did and carry on doing the same thing and looking after all your loyal customers until you eventually go under? Or are you going to try new things? Amazon tried a phone, the Fire Phone. It failed. Did it bother Jeff Bezos? No. He brought out the Kindle. He had no right to bring out a Kindle. He was a services company specializing in logistics and services. Why should he bring out a piece of hardware? 
Why should he sell secondhand books? He's taken all sorts of risks and some of them have paid off and some of them haven't. That's so good because what I'm hearing here is that there's an issue of cost and what is it costing me to not take those risks? And I think if we lateral think it through and look at it from a different direction, I think there's a feeling of safety that is costing us a lot more than what we're actually gaining from it. Is that accurate? Yes. So there's a cost in experimentation. And I wrote a blog about this. How often should you roll the dice? If you keep rolling a dice, sooner or later you will run a six, but you might roll a whole string of ones and twos and threes before that. And innovation, in a sense, is like that. You can't exactly tell. No one's smart enough to know how new products and services will exactly play out. And the smart thing to do is what Eric Ries advises in his book, The Lean Startup, which is to go out there with a minimum viable product, the smallest, crappiest, cheapest version of your idea, which you can possibly put together and test it in the marketplace with real customers and find out what works and what doesn't. And that is the most cost-effective way to innovation and to use lateral thinking in business. Absolutely good. I love the part where you say no one knows. And I think that that unknown is the very thing that should propel us to test the waters and to introduce a small thing. But that's the very thing I think that stops most people is like, it's unknown. I don't know if I want to try those uncharted waters. Have you encountered that? Yes. And if you speak to venture capitalists and entrepreneurs, what they say is your first idea, your brilliant idea, the one you think is great is always wrong. There's always something wrong with it. But when you test it you find that there are aspects to it that people like and aspects that they don't like and then you learn and it's a constant i wrote a blog about paul mccready who was the first man to undertake a powered human flight and his approach was fly crash adapt and he did this cycle where he had a very cheap plane a human powered plane which flew 10 feet off the ground and it would crash and he'd adapt it and it would crash and he would adapt it and that's the approach you get out there you try something it doesn't work and then you try something else and it sounds like you don't focus on the crash part you focus on the thing that you can tweak to make it better for the next exactly one exactly right so there's an the, incremental growth that's happening there and yeah. we basically celebrate those small wins you launch something you put something out there and you find out what's wrong with it the jacuzzi brothers were italian immigrants to america and they were in california somewhere near you i think <laughs> and they brought out a bath with jets in it aimed at people with arthritis and hip problems because it was a great help for those people right. with difficulties, but they couldn't afford it. It was a flop. It failed. And then they found that rich people were buying this bath, not for medicinal purposes, but to improve their social life. And the jacuzzi became something which was a luxury item rather than a health item. The point is, when you put your product out there, often you discover that the people who want it and buy it and use it are using it for something completely different from what you intended. That is a great point. And I think we have to be willing to be humble enough to take that feedback and to say, okay, it's kind of a blow on my ego because I really thought I wanted to help these people. But I would imagine the jacuzzi brothers are not upset about the change here. (laughs) That's right. Good stuff. Tell me about leadership as a lateral leader, because you do a lot of work with equipping teams and helping leaders equip their teams to be lateral thinkers and create that environment. What is the first step? If I haven't been thinking this way and if I don't have that in my organization, what's the first step I need to take? The first step to take is to remove the barriers to innovation and lateral thinking in the business today. And if you go around and ask people, you can run a formal audit. I do this sometimes for companies. But if you go and ask some of the young, bright people that work for you, what's impeding good ideas in the business today? Mm. They'll tell you and they'll say, we don't have time. 
we don't have the money, we don't have the know-how, approval procedures take too long, we've got autocratic leadership style, we're risk averse. They'll come up with a whole bunch of things which are stopping the company from being more agile, more entrepreneurial, which is where lateral thinking leads you to try all these new things. And first of all, identify the current barriers and hit some of those on the head. Take a hammer to them one at a time. If people don't have time, you have to try new things and experiment, you have to allocate time. People don't have a budget. You give them a very small budget, not much. If people don't know how to do it, you train them in brainstorming, in lateral thinking, in innovation, pipeline management. So if they're risk averse, then you change the culture and the steps you can take to get rid of a blame culture and a risk averse culture, make it more adventurous, more entrepreneurial. And only the leader can do that. Yes. Uh, The only person that can change the culture of an organization is the leader. And it's tough for the leader to do. It's impossible at the bottom. It's almost impossible in the middle. It's tough from the top, but the leader can do it. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Powerful at Work Radio. I'm your host, Rosa Ponte de Leon. And it is my goal to equip you for success in creating a culture where everyone loves coming to work and thrives. If you're loving these bite-sized pod episodes, I want to invite you to our upcoming free training event where I'm going to share with you my five-phase model for making sure everyone on your team is seen, heard, and understood. For details, visit my website, rosapontedeleon.com, and register for the event. There, you will also find links for my socials, and you can opt into our newsletter and get additional free content. Thank you for listening. If you haven't subscribed, please hit the button and stay connected with the latest training from our featured guests. We're excited to help you lead your high-performance team to impact the bottom line. So good. You started with a very important point. This is the first step you said is you ask. And how hard is it for leaders to bring themselves to ask their people and actually listen? Well, the funny thing is that when you appoint a new leader, if you appointed a new CEO tomorrow, he or she would come in open-minded and they'd listen to customers and they'd go around and they'd talk to staff and talk to suppliers and, and, and they, they think and, and they listen. And there's a lot of research that shows that the longer a CEO stays in place, the more autocratic they become, the more self-confident they become. They think they know all the answers. They stop asking those basic questions, which they asked the first day they were in the job. And sometimes you've got to pretend it's your first day in the job and you don't know anything and you're open-minded and you're receptive to everyone else's input. And you ask customers, what could we do better? You ask staff, what should we be doing differently? And you listen. That's so good because they are the biggest source of intelligence of what's happening inside of your company. We look for help and mentoring outside usually because we want that person that can then point out our blind spots, but we cannot do it at the expense of then eliminating our ability to gather the real-time information that our people can provide us. And the other thing is that person, that CEO on day one is asking questions, but the analogy that you're using is grab a hammer and remove those obstacles. Because I think sometimes those obstacles, we just have to learn to navigate through them. They're never going to go away. But a real leader, you're saying, should take a hammer and remove those obstacles. Can you elaborate on that? Yes, there are many examples of terrible blame culture in a hospital, the Virginia Mason Hospital in Seattle. Mm -hmm. And the chief medical officer there, he said, we've got to change this blame culture. We've got to stop covering things up. And people didn't believe it until he took direct action. And a a woman who died as a result of some negligence, and he immediately fessed up. He said, it was our fault. We got this wrong. And we're going to learn from our mistakes. And he changed the culture from one of blame and cover up and being silent about problems to one where 
all of the problems were shared and exposed and, and made transparent so that they could continuously improve. And the number of lawsuits against them significantly declined. So it's one of those great stories. That's really a great story in a lot of ways. But I think what naturally happens, and you're saying do the exact opposite, but naturally happens is we become very defensive and we get, mm -hmm. what do we do to not get sued instead of what do we do to not have these problems to not put ourselves in a position where we can be sued, fix the problem, and then you won't get sued. You're Correct. saying there was a direct correlation there that lawsuits did decrease. Yes. The man's name was Kaplan. And mm. I've written a blog about it a while ago. So I'll send you the link to that about the Virginia Mason. For sure. But I love that you have numbers because I think sometimes we fail to measure, again, that cost of being on the defensive. We think we're reducing lawsuits by being on the defensive, but we're really not. Well, if you've got a cover-up culture, then it's very dangerous. And you want to encourage transparency and openness. You want an attitude where people are allowed to fail, provided they share the experience and we learn from it. Oh, so. good. Because now you're getting into ownership as a leader. And when you've empowered your people and your team to be leaders, they get to own some of this. The lateral leader's motto is this, we celebrate success, we learn from failure, and we punish inaction. The Ooh. guy you come down hard on is the manager who sat on a problem for six months and done nothing about it. The Ooh. guy who's tried something which failed, you treat as a learning experience and you share that. What did we learn and how can we do this better? So you don't keep making the same mistake you keep making lots of new mistakes and you learn from new mistakes and you move on. And the only thing you punish is inaction. That's so powerful right there. If we can adopt nothing else, those core ideas of how we run business, that's huge. And I think we would be a better society and community if we adopted that a mm -hmm. little bit more, wouldn't we? We would. One of the things you talked about is having agility and being entrepreneurial. And I'm a big fan of the OODA loop. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it has to do with observe, orient, decide, and act. And the main message of that concept is that agility is more important than blunt force. And so what you're suggesting is that this culture of not covering up makes us more agile. Can you add to that? Yes, it's about empowering people to try new things. And great leaders do this. They grow other leaders and they do this by empowering smart people and you build trust. You give them a little bit of space, then you give them more and more and more. You don't give them complete control on day one, but you have to release people and empower them and let them try things. So let me tell you about the story of Ted Hoff. Mm -hmm. Ted Hoff, he was a Californian. He got a PhD in electronics and he joined a little startup company. He was the 12th employee in a little company in Silicon Valley called Intel. And Intel got a commission from a Japanese calculator manufacturer called Busycom. And Busycom said, we want you to redesign the 12 circuits that go into our calculators, hardwired circuits that do multiply, add, store, divide, and so on. And they gave the job to Ted Hoff, who'd never worked on these kinds of circuits before. And he looked at them and he went to his boss and he said to his boss, what the customer has asked for is 12 hardwired circuits. But I think we can use a new idea. I think we could create one circuit which could do all 12 functions if we programmed it. Can mm. I try that, please? And his boss, to his eternal credit, said yes. And Ted Hoff invented the microprocessor. And nowadays, every device you've got, whether it's a washing machine, a car, or a, a mobile phone, is packed full of microprocessors. It fueled the growth of Intel into a multi-billion dollar corporation, all because one boss said to one employee, yes, why don't you try your crazy idea? Now, I think most bosses would have said to Ted Hoff, no, the customer's asked for 12 hardwired circuits, do what the customer's asked for, we can move on to the next job. 
we don't have time to try your crazy idea. But his boss, fortunately, was smart enough to do that. By the way, when they did it, the customer pushed back. The customer said, no, we don't like They had, had a hard job persuading Busycom to take this, even though it was an improvement. And when they did it, they discovered to their horror that the customer owned the intellectual property to the microprocessor. They had to go to great lengths to buy it back. But anyway, that's, that's the story of Ted Hoff. That's an amazing story. And here's what I love about this is Ted Hoff focused on the end result. And I think frequently as leaders, when we give direction or we ask for something to be done, one of the right ways to do it is to say, this is the end result. And then part of allowing them to be creative is they get to figure out how to solve it because they're infinitely better at it. They're boots on the ground. They have more experience and specialty. And when we give them that, that request for the end result, they get to decide how to solve it in a much better way than if we just told them, nope, stick to the plan. Here's how we do it in this company. Just do this. Yeah. And, and I've got a little poster on that. And it says, show the destination, but let the team choose the route. Ooh, that's good. That's good. I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to that one too. <laughs> so good. And, and this applies in crisis too, because I think sometimes I work in crisis a lot and, and you need something done quick. And I think, people sometimes get boggled down thinking I need to step up and be like this autocratic leader because we're in crisis. And yes, there's definitely something to that step up and be the leader, but that's especially the time to say to people, this is the end result that I want. That makes you way more effective than getting caught up in the details. Generally, that's true. It's not always true. If you've got a very young team or inexperienced team or things have gone badly wrong, sometimes you have to step in and take control and tell people what to do. Uh, But generally speaking, if you've got smart people, good people, it's much better to say, this is what we want to achieve in this timescale. You figure out how to do it. I concur, actually. You're right. Well, you know, the great example of that is John F. Kennedy, who said in 1963, before this decade is out, we'll send a man to the moon and return him safely to Earth. And nobody knew how to do it. They hadn't even sent a rocket into space or anything at that stage. And he got a real bunch of really bright people. And he gave them a big budget and, and he created NASA. And he said, off you go, you do it. And they did it. And wow. when you look at the technology they had in the 60s, it's incredible that they landed a man on the moon. It is. But yeah, it's a great example of a leader giving an objective, a tough challenge, a really difficult challenge, and then stepping back and letting the team get on with it. They had the freedom and the budget. Yep. Beautiful. And I think that's a perfect case going back to your example of he just removed the obstacles and gave them free reign. Yes. All right. I think we have gotten enough to chew on for a minute with this powerful set of teachings that you've brought to us. And I want to go back to your newest book because you also said that this is a self-published book that goes to charity. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that? It's called 1234. If you go onto Amazon, you search for 1234 Wacky you'll find it. And it's a great book. It's a fun book. You'll learn a lot from it. You'll enjoy it. And you'll chuckle because it's a really fun book. One, two, three, four, wacky, witty, and wonderful words. It's an exploration of the English language. Did you want to talk about the charity at all? It's called Step by Step. It helps disadvantaged young people, homeless youngsters to turn their lives around. And they go through a program step by step and they're empowered a little bit at a time to build back their lives. And it's quite small, but it's highly effective. And it really makes a difference to disadvantaged young people. Well, I think we're in need of programs like that. I think the world needs that. And, and I appreciate that you're doing something wonderful to help that cause. Good. Thank you. And where would we be able to reach you if we wanted to connect with you? Well, my website is destinationinnovation.com. That's destination, a little hyphen, then innovation. I'm on LinkedIn, Paul Sloan. I'm on Twitter, at Paul Sloan. I tweet a lot and, and I blog a lot. 
Uh, I'm on YouTube. You can find my TEDx talk. Or t- I've done two TEDx talks now, both on YouTube. So I'm all over the place. Oh, it's fantastic that you make yourself available with so much good knowledge. And definitely, uh, I would encourage our listeners to take the moment and set aside some binge time to consume some of that material because it's excellent. Thank you, Rosa. Thanks for listening to Powerful at Work Radio. If you subscribe now, you're going to hear weekly teachings to shift your perspective on how to thrive in the workplace and stories from experts and career professionals who are daring to do work differently. And we want to invite you to the conversation. Please subscribe to this podcast. And you can also visit us on Facebook and join the group Empower to Bloom Tribe, where you're going to find tons of resources to help you on your career journey and also interact with like-minded professionals. I'll see you there.